Black revolutionaries, distillery owners, Italian fashion retailers, and Motown Grammy winners all share their best stories never before told in any other media outlets on Detroit Is Different. Visit DetroitIsDifferent.com or download the Detroit Is Different app on Apple's App Store or Google's Play Store. Welcome back to the Detroit Is Different podcast studios. <laughs> and today, as usual, I have somebody in effect that I know, but this person is... Really been intricate, a part of Detroit is different, been a part of the podcast studio and knows all the equipment here. Like I know the equipment here, exactly. even though I'm one of the people that's uh, definitely, uh, as I guess you could say, you know, get the equipment. But after I get the equipment, one person's like, I got to know. Show me, show me, show me, show me. Brittany Marsh. Brittany. What's up? How you feeling? Good. All right. So, Miss Brittany, mm-hmm. you are a part of is Food Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a part of the Piper Carter podcast. That is true. You are connected to the network, obviously. Mm-hmm. You were one of the people that uh, when we were doing the podcast festival back in 2019, I was like, all right, I'm going to help you organize it. What's going on? And mm-hmm. I was like, these people are going crazy. <laughs> and you were one of the people that got the people less crazy mm-hmm. or, or got me to be less crazy about everything. Um, Perspectives, everything. Yes. So perspective is everything. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about Brittany. Miss yeah. Brittany. What's up? Um, share first is food, mm-hmm. vegan pizza, mm-hmm. and your vision for creating pizza and and it being connected to Detroit and mm-hmm. all of that stuff. Let's let's talk about what's is food and vegan pizza. Why? How? What? Okay. Let's start with the name. Um, so is food Detroit for me. The name and concept was, I just think that we attach ourselves to concepts that make us feel better about ourselves, whether we're identifying how we identify sexually or if we're this or if we're alpha, if we're AKA or if I'm a vegan. So for me, um, I think plant-based living works um, mm-hmm. for the mental and for uh, the physical and and the spiritual, right? So for me, it works, right? But for mm-hmm. everyone else that's maybe on their path, and I'm gonna say path, maybe they don't perceive it as such. And currently, where I'm at, that's okay. So it's food. Like let's just remember, it's just food, right? So that's the name. It's food, Detroit. Um, I met Kari um, actually through trying to document per- parts and my perspective of Detroit. And um, that's where the It's Food Detroit comes from because it's just, a again, I, I vision it being a collective of different foods. And um, that's what It's Food Detroit is. It's going to be kind of like the hub to my perspective of food in Detroit. All right. So let's start there. Your Detroit story. Mm-hmm. Roots. I know you are <laughs> now in Detroit. Mm-hmm. But what's your roots? What's your background? So I always give the long winded version of my background because it's important. If you tell people you just from the suburbs, they how you like and like to do the right. A model with the Cranbrooks. They'll so, be like you from soft yeah. field. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to so, my soft field. I'll give you all the long winded <laughs> version. Uh, but quickly. So my parents, my dad is from Detroit, went to Northwestern. Played basketball, class of 72, went to Michigan, played basketball. Mm-hmm. And my mother is from down south. She's from Mississippi. And she was part of, like, that um, like that late baby boomer migrate to Detroit. Like, most people's parents have that story or, sec- you know, grandparents have that story. Whereabouts in Mississippi? Um, Columbia, Mississippi, in a mm-hmm. small town called Expo, a really, really small town. Mm-hmm. And so she went to Park College in Kansas City. So she stayed in Missouri for a while. She also lived in Memphis. Mm-hmm. And there were six of them. So one of the six 
had moved to Detroit mm. on the east side off of Otter Drive. So Did she they just, call it Detroit? That's how them southern people. They'd be like, you in Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they country has definitely called it that. <laughs> Detroit. Um, so when she, she you know, was a school teacher, so she decided that she mm-hmm. was going to migrate here to teach school. She started teaching at Persian. And she taught at, I think, another middle school on the east side. So the first suburb that's outside of Detroit that isn't, like, mad expensive when she got her bread right, she moved Mm. to Warren. So I was raised in Warren. Okay. And then when she got her bread tight, saved her money, she she was teaching at Mumford. She did night school. She did uh, summer school. She did, you know, regular schooling. And she moved us to West Bloomfield because I lived past a certain road in West Bloomfield. I had to go to Wall Lake Central. And I didn't like it for several reasons because I just knew I was going to be a hooper. I hated for hooping. So um, I went to Sapo High for the other three years. And it was perfect because everything we did was in Detroit. Harper Memorial Baptist Church was in Detroit. Uh, doctors were in Detroit. Friends were in Detroit, east and west, right? So mm-hmm. she migrated to the east. So naturally, we spent a lot of time. A lot of her friends were on the east side. But then because she taught school at Mumford, I was, you know, very, very, like, intimate with the west side of Detroit. Um, plus, I played basketball, right? So a lot of my AAU, a lot of my pal, right, was all mm-hmm. in the city. So I'm kind of like a a, a, a a Michigan mutt, to be honest with you. So so let's stop there because I say Metro Detroit because it's not like <laughs> you were in the uh, Upper Peninsula That's or true. anything like that That's or true. the west side of the state as of yet in this yeah. story. Um Warren is a unique city because Warren is, is huge. First off, but Warren is way bigger than you think it is. It is. Um, what do you remember about Warren and what years were you there? Do, like, do you remember anything? Because even in my lifetime, mm-hmm. the population of Warren has shifted mm-hmm. and like really Warren is like East Detroit. Like it is. what was happening in Southfield, I'd say like in the 90s seemed to be happening in Warren right now. That's very, 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 very true statement. So Warren growing up was... Um, Kind of like what Down River is, mm-hmm. uh, meaning that the uh, it was the white population was like very very blue collar, right? Yep. You had white people who were working in the factory, white people who were you know maybe you know and also in Warren because the the big three, right? You have a mm-hmm. lot of suppliers, so you have a lot of small suppliers that are like located in Warren, like Galco, for instance. They're an electronic uh, circuitry. Uh, supplier right Mm -hmm. so you had those type of like class blue collar like workers so when I grew up in Warren what I remember is Chicken Shack the first original Chicken Shack right on Ryan Road let's put it like this okay for all (laughs) for all black people (laughs) in Detroit You know, it's like two subsets of black people, and this is so it's crazy. Very true. Uh, in in the world of fried chicken, and this, and I know somebody that, uh, especially supporting its food mm-hmm. or the vegan plant based movement, mm-hmm. would be like, brother, you confuse. But you got your KFC people, yes, which is is like to me like a higher. Too. It's like a higher grade of of black folks. <laughs> Which my family was not a KFC family. Mm-hmm. Good old Popeyes family. Popeyes, which Churchies, is like the more hood. Where Churchy's got the grease uh, stain on them. No, no pun intended. Uh, yes, Popeyes is a little bit more hood, but Churches is definitely like the the down, like like the the subsets of it. I, I remember one time <laughs> I saw a guy ha- that had to be like five hundred pounds in a um, in the Churches drive through in in a motor scooting. Wow. Uh, wheelchair. And Very I was thinking to myself, like, damn. Must be good. Churches. I was just thinking to myself, like, this is like so many memes and commercials and jokes. <laughs> and also, like, just such a such a Detroit 
picture. Like mm-hmm. that's back when I didn't have a camera phone or anything, but it the image stood out. But Chicken Shack, mm-hmm. as they say, is a suburban alternative oh to all of these. So, so you had the roasted potatoes. Yeah, and this is. So since we're talking about food and my, you know, origin, yeah, yeah. like I didn't grow up eating pork or beef. Like my parents, like didn't weren't eating it. They weren't Muslim. Uh, they just both were a little bit health conscious, which is a wave too. Like in the '90s, mm-hmm. for a certain segment of like black people, right? People. Mm-hmm. That's when you know Afrocentrics in Detroit. I'm sure surpasses the '90s, right? You're talking the '60s and the '70s, but. That's when people, you know, you start progressing, started to really watch what they, you know, put in their body. And for mm-hmm. that moment, it was no swine, right? No red mm-hmm. meat, right? Yeah. So you had a lot of people doing that. And my parents were just one, even though I grew up in a, in a um, you know, a separate household. So, um, yeah, so Chicken Shack wasn't red meat. So we ate a lot of Chicken Shack. Okay. Um, and basketball. Like, we lived in a place. Hooping. Yeah, hooping. Like, I just always was a basketball player from the now, bottom of my heart. Now, being mm-hmm. being the girl hooper, mm-hmm. did you? It, it sometimes like like in the neighborhood, and it was women that could hoop. Uh, mm-hmm. Shout out to Shauna. To Shauna was a lot definitely of good women hoopers in the nineties. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so what was that like going on courts? Because you know, our first introduction to basketball is like pickup basketball, and being the girl playing pickup basketball sometimes can be. What was that like? Just imagine the first scene of Love and Basketball, literally. Mm. That's how I was. Literally, like, I always forced myself into a situation. I always felt as if, like, people would never, especially being a girl basketball player, like, people weren't just going to willingly pick me on the team. Like, people weren't willingly going to give me the ball. So Mm -hmm. I always itched myself into a position where the ball was going to get into my hands. So living in Warren, it kind of was just like my mom would put me in some of the basketball, like, uh, training camps mm-hmm. you know but as far as like my early on basketball it was just me in a ball like hmm. me just sitting in front of the uh tv watching sports and just dribbling the ball between my legs because i always knew that the first point of basketball was to be able to dribble hmm. so i would just be walking in the neighborhood and born dribbling this ball like i was known for having the ball in my hand you know what i mean and then from there you know basketball camps but what i remember the most about that time frame which we moved from Warren uh, after seventh grade was Mumford, Mumford High School, you know. So my mom would come and pick me up from school, which I went to uh, Faith Christian Academy. But another thing that was huge in Detroit at that time were mega churches. So Word of Faith, which is a mega church, had a little tiny middle school. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I spent most of my elementary and middle school years. And I would get uh, from school. And I would go to Mumford because, again, my mom worked both day and night shifts. Okay. And I would go straight to the gym. And people would come to her and be like, do you know your daughter be talking smack? Like, where does she get to learn how Hilarious. to talk smack? Like, mm. But that was the environment that I always wanted to be in. I always wanted to live in a city. I always wanted to live in a neighborhood. I always wanted to know what it felt mm. like to wake up and be able to go outside and play with play basketball with people. So when mm. I got to Mumford... I took got full advantage of that. So you're talking about taking full advantage of hooping. Um, what was your game like? Because mm-hmm. as I know, like, okay, at one point in time, I was a kid with the basketball <laughs> rim in the backyard. We played differently. Mm-hmm. But I want to say it was about three years ago. I played pickup with, like, some younger kids at mm-hmm. the court not far from um, in Live 6. It's like a court in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And it just blew my mind to see, like, 
kids get a rebound, then they run to the three point line and shoot a three. And I'm like, wow. I'm I'm like, I mm-hmm. guess because they grew up loving Steph Curry, Curry for sure. The way that I grew up liking in, in reality, like I mean, I'm a kid. Isaiah Thomas was like my first like. Mm-hmm. Probably athlete I loved the most, mm-hmm. and then after Isaiah Thomas, but it was actually Shaquille O'Neal because I was a you know fat kid, and Shaq was huge, and he was <laughs> dominant. He was tearing rims down. My mom got me a pair of Shaqs. She got me Shaq's uh, like animated shirt. He was rapping, mm-hmm. you know Shaq. It was like Shaq was amazing. It seemed like for about three years of my life, Shaq was I who I that. looked up to. Who was the 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 basketball player that was like great question so for me to answer it in short was Allen Iverson okay and one of the reasons was because again I didn't grow up in the city the city was always a fantasy for me right Mm -hmm. I got to I spent if it was 24 hours in a day I spent let's just call it seven 16 15 of it in the city but Mm -hmm. it still was like I wasn't in the city and so Mm -hmm. Iverson's origin story very similar to mine, but different, right? Raised yeah. by his mom, mom forcing him into things, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Allen Iverson was a football player. He hated basketball. Yeah. Different than me. I've always loved ball. Um, his mm-hmm. mom had to force him out there. And when he, she forced him out there, he loved it. Mm-hmm. So Iverson, again, represented what the black, the blackness that wasn't yet accepted in America, right? Yeah. That alternate and Iverson was before people understood that black people could be very dynamic, very different. And no one in the history of basketball could control the ball like Allen Iverson. Like I told you, I thought basketball was being able to dribble when mm-hmm. I first started. So every the ball was always in my hand. I was always dribbling. So when I saw Allen Iverson for the first time, I'm like, this is who my I want my game to be like. You know what okay. I mean? Um, I always wanted to be a point guard. I always wanted to control the floor, but I wanted to do it with swag. Mm-hmm. I've always been like that. Like, I've always wanted to, like, do the basics and the th- fundamental things the right way. But then I always wanted to add my own touch to it. And Allen Iverson was that for me. So uh, what type of cornrow styles did oh, you have? Oh, come on. <laughs> I had, like, if you knew me in high school, middle school, <laughs> Parts of college. Mm-hmm. No, no, I didn't have the cornrows in college. Okay. But high, middle school, high school, I had the best cornrows. Like, people would say to me, like, mm-hmm. how are your cornrows lasting so long? Like, mm-hmm. I did not play. And they were very I – would, I, could, I could look just like how I wanted to look on the court. And for some reason, I always was able to make the cornrows look super feminine and, and make them last. Like, and, you, so. and you did them yourself? No, no, no. My cousin Cause, did. Cause my cousin did. Myself, okay, okay. No, no. I like, wish I – that's one thing I could never is, do was hair. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so. so so that's balling. That's ball. From ball, where does that lead you? Uh, did you play ball in college? I did, did you not. play golf, ball in high school? What what? I, where did you go after? So what what really hurt me um, with my love for basketball is is when I got to Southfield. I thought that I had practiced all summer with the Southfield team, and mm-hmm. I just knew. Like, this coach had assembled a team. Like, he went to Murray Wright and found a good guard. Mm. He found a lot of younger girls, and we assembled this team, and we went and played all summer. And when my parents realized, like, hey, it might be easier just for you to go back to Southfield, Mm. um, I went, and I had to sit out a year because of the transfer. Mm -hmm. Um, And I couldn't play, so that was my sophomore year. Mm. I couldn't play my sophomore year. So my junior year, even though I was playing and practicing, um, it – my confidence was lower. So Hmm. I was very inconsistent my junior year, which if you are going to play basketball in college, like it's very important that, you know, your junior and your senior year, 
you're very consistent, that your numbers match, that you're well-rounded. And my junior year, remember, I had been sitting on a year, mm. right? So um, my confidence level was off. It was very, very, excuse me, mental. And my mental... <laughs> And I want to talk a little bit about that mm-hmm. as being an athlete is something mm-hmm. that definitely in our community we embrace. We mm-hmm. we love the 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 success of it. Yeah. But it also comes with a lot of pressure at young ages, as I know many athletes, uh, myself, I would never consider myself an athlete even mm-hmm. when I played. I mean, I was just having fun. I but got you. What, what type of pressure did that put on you in 10th grade to sit out a year? You know, where was your confidence at? I mean, how did you even approach I mean, school? I saw myself, you know? like, you know, not to cut you off, but I saw myself through basketball. Like, that's how I saw myself. That's how I identified. Mm-hmm. As that's a hooper what, first. Yeah, as a hooper, for sure. Like, I could mm-hmm. always, I was always musically inclined. I always loved music. Um, but I always let everything take a backseat to basketball. So not being able to play really, really, really kind of screwed with me. Like I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to um, where to fuel myself. Because like it had to at that young age, you had to really get into answering questions of defining who you are Correct. as and a person because you identified yourself more so as a hooper. Yeah. And I guess the natural next question comes. What about AAU? What about pickup? Why couldn't it, you just I did. But you remember, like during basketball season, like there is no AAU. So mm-hmm. it was a good like three, four months. I couldn't practice. I could damn near not even be in a gym, right? Because I wasn't technically able to be on the team because I transferred. Mm. So I still was connected, you know, just being homegirl, but it still was like this disconnect. You might remember, I went from Wall Lake Central where I didn't fit in at all. Like it was very diverse, but very segregated. And, you know, there's all different sorts of black. And let's let's talk a little bit about being at a school like that because a lot of times I give this example. Mm. Um Things that are labeled as the best things in society, especially as a black man or just being black in general, are sometimes the most can be the most detrimental things for us. Tell me about it. Uh, as I'm sure Walt Lake Central. Very detrimental. Um, and our pioneer, like a lot of these schools, uh, Gro- Birmingham Groves are labeled as like one of the best in education and a great place. But what was the pressure about it? Because knowing people that have gone to these schools, they're naturalness to fit in because culturally oh my god it just isn't built like that but share your story so i mean we have to remember too that i'm the generation of where like i it still wasn't common for black people not to go to college like the 90s was the okay black people have arrived from a career and from an education perspective like six out of the ten people that you talk to that were in their 30s or 40s have gone to college and they expect their kids to Right. Mm -hmm. So giving your child a good education. Right. That concept that I know it hasn't died, but people would do all kind of things to send their kids to a certain school district. Right. Certain thing. Not realizing the social aspect that would come along with it. And for me, I lived out there. Right. But I was still not um, I wasn't socially understanding of diversity yet. Like I still. Again, was a hooper. I didn't see, I hate to say it, color. Like, if you had an orange ball and you had a floor that squeaked, I'm there, right? So for me to understand the concepts of what it, you know, again, I was raised in Warren. I spent 80% of my time in the city, right? But those worlds kind of still clash for me. So when I was in a setting where it was diverse, but it was still segregated, and it's still, you get to see white men in power, right? So you, it's a segregated school, but the white man is for sure in power, you know what I'm saying? 
that was a different different for me. My coaches, right, even from the style of play, right? You you traditionally see schools like Clarkston, Wall Lake School District, um, maybe not Groves and Troy School District so much, but they play a certain type of basketball, right? Four touches and no dribbles, just shots, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, that's I just told you, I'm Allen Iverson. That's not my mm-hmm. game, right? So you're trying to condense me, right? Because you don't want me patting a ball because you friends with so and so so daddy, and if she don't have a ball in her hand or if she's not on the court, right, that's a problem. So I got to introduce to politics. I got introduced to diversity. I got introduced to a lot of different things and an education program that yeah was good, but you have to remember these kids have been in Wall Lake School District for quite some time. So my understanding of the school district and the curriculum was different. I'll give you an example, integrated math, right? For me, middle school was algebra, right? Mm-hmm. So when I get freshman year to integrated math and i am got calculus mixed with algebra, I'm like, what the hell is this, right? Mm-hmm. I, my brain, I was out of my element at Wall Lake. Yeah. And that has nothing to you know do with my parents' decisions because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I know my mom was trying to do what was best for me. And plus, we lived out there, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, Wall Lake, from a basketball, a social um, and just from <laughs> just like a everyday thing of being in school for what, like eight hours a day, it just wasn't for me. Like the mm. best thing I liked about it was the school lunches, which were fantastic. But okay. everything else was just. Mm. So so then you get over to Southfield, which was another what was shot. the difference <laughs> there? What was the difference? So Southfield, there? like you said, is, you know, is traditionally an unorthodox and orthodox Jewish city. Yes. You know what I mean? And so uh, in the late, I'd say early 90s to late um, 90s, you started seeing uh, Southfield become more diverse. So by the time I got to Southfield in the early 2000s, it was uh, 99.8% black population mm-hmm. as far as the school district goes. There was Southfield High and there was Southfield Lathrop. Yep. Lathrop is the more known as the kind of like, because Lathrop is closer, Lathrop District is closer to Birmingham, mm-hmm. you know, that area moving towards the, the burbs. Southfield is closer to the city of Detroit. Yeah. So you got people who think as if, back to giving your kids a better education, right, that if they, they're not going to send their kids to Redford. They're not going to send their kids to Mumford. They're not going to send their kids to, I'm trying to think of another school that's near. Henry Ford. Henry Ford, mm-hmm. right? They're going to send them to Southfield. Yeah. So Southfield was a mix of uh, parents who had actually moved to Southfield mm-hmm. uh, for a better life. And their parents on paper. And parents moved. on paper, right, <laughs> that lived in Southfield. So yeah. Southfield was a mixed bag mm-hmm. of different type of black. So going mm-hmm. into it, I used to come home like, Mom, I'm so happy to be back around my own people like I'm so happy mm-hmm. but there were things and concepts that um I wasn't again used to like I always been like kind of like oh I want to be fly like oh like you mm-hmm. know I always had that in me just because again 90s everybody was fly if they was in a afrocentric wear they was fly if they was in a guest jeans they was fly so I'm part of that like millennial generation where no matter what you're gonna do you're gonna be fly excuse mm-hmm. what I got on now but I still in my own way think this shit is fly right yeah. so the point I'm making is Southfield was like a fashion show to me. And mm. honestly, I didn't care for it. Like, I'm thinking mm. I'm, because I'm around black people, it's about to be like my, like, back to Africa. You you was thinking it was going to be like a yeah. different world. You yeah, like, like oh. yeah, no. It was like, <laughs> Doughboy Cash Out originated out of Southfield, believe it or not. Yeah, Southfield you know what I mean? and Oak so, Park. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So, 
I'm part of that seeing all that and I didn't I wasn't ready for that either. Like mm-hmm. I honestly did not fit in well. Like I hooped and that's what I was known for. B March, new for hooping, right? Mm-hmm. And I kinda stayed, even though I couldn't hoop my sophomore year, I kinda just still closed in a lot of myself and concentrated on basketball. You know what I mean? I just didn't feel like it wasn't the black experience that I was expecting it to be. In that moment. Now, in, only in that moment. Now I look back and I'm like, man, I loved going to school there. It was the best back experience for me because that's where I learned black is not one thing. It's not two things. It's, not it's everything. Yeah. Okay, now let me ask you this. You were uncomfortable in Wall Lake. You were uncomfortable <laughs> in Southfield. Yeah. Do you look back at both experience? Like, what gives you more reverence for the Southfield experience? Like, if you were... If you were, you know, talking to uh, a, a mother and father that are thinking about their kid going, picking the school, and they're like, I don't know if, you know, if they go to, if I send them to Northwestern, it could be crazy. I would or say where, know or, your or should child. should I go to, what would you say? I would say know your child. I think that for me, like, the type of person that I am, when I reflect, like, all experiences are good experiences, right? I don't see mm-hmm. anything Again, this is consciously, it could be a lot of unconscious things that I'm not aware of. I don't see anything that was, like, traumatic for me. You know what I mean? You know, consciously. Like, I honestly look back and I'm like, I'm glad I experienced everything the way that I experienced it. Because I'm all, like, if you, if my personality is kind of like, I don't know. Not not a lot of things shock me. Not a lot of things scare me. Um, not a lot of things kind of like, uh, I like everything. I like a mixed, I'm like a mixed bag. Like you never know what you're going to get. It just depends mm-hmm. on how I feel. And so my experiences kind of like shape that about me. You know what I mean? I've been exposed to a lot of different things in a way that my mom, you know, raised me based on, you know, by default, like just because of how she was living. You know what I mean? So I would say to a parent that just know your child, right? Uh, there's a school, shout out to Amir who works down at the village. Um, he's 12. He's going to the ninth grade. Um, Mama Nicole, shout out to you. But the point that I'm making is, is that he goes to Roper. Roper is a very, very expensive liberal school that is in Birmingham and I believe also uh, Bloomfield. There's a you know a middle school and a high school, mm-hmm. but. Because I went to Faith Christian Academy, my middle school, I got exposed to Roper. And you go there, and the kids are calling the, the teachers by their first name, right? Yeah. They're able to express themselves. They don't do homework, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying every parent should send their child there. But if you know you have a very gifted child that is bored easily, and they always seem to be like the bad child or the child that doesn't do the things that they need to do, like, you may want to send them to Roper. If you have a child that doesn't understand the con- certain concepts about life, like they think life is or in a box, maybe sending them to an inner city school is best for them, right? Mm-hmm. I think people are so, like, caught up in this, like, still this, like, 90 version of what a good education is. Like, a good education is what you make it, period. I've seen people from Cooley, do amazing things. I've seen people from cast do okay things, depending on what you think okay is, right? You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? When I say okay, they're fulfilled, right? But yeah. in the eyes of, like, what success is, it's just okay, right? So the yeah. point I'm getting at is is that you have to know your child and you have to know what's best for them and kind of allow that spirit to grow inside of them. And then the neighborhood school could just be just as fine. You know what I mean? It just depends on how you look at stuff. I agree. I agree. So that brings us to college. Yeah. Northwood University. And Northwood, for people that don't know, Northwood is like 
kind of around. That was the one college trip from Northwestern that we went on. Mm-hmm. Me and my homie Lo. Mm-hmm. Uh, Northwood is near Frankenmuth. It is. For a lot of people that are wondering. So Frankenmuth, is, it's strange that people know more about Frankenmuth mm-hmm. than Northwood. I know. It's but like, it's basically mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, it's between Saginaw Valley and Central Michigan. So it's mm-hmm. in Midland, Michigan. So basically, it's a small business school where a lot of people who own like car dealerships, who own their own firms, send their kids that are like, so entrepreneurs send their kids to school there so that they can get a business degree and then run their parents' company. Mm-hmm. I know tons of kids whose parents own dealerships, know tons of kids' uh, parents who uh, owned accounting firms, right? <laughs> and they just wanted to come and get a business degree, stay in Michigan, stay focused, got the business degree, got a couple years of experience, and now they're running their parents' restaurants, all kind of stuff, right? Why did you choose Northwood? Because my cousin went there. My cousin... Okay. Uh, Michael went there and he went there 10 years prior but I just remember him always being able to like go home be still around but still be away you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and when he got out of Northwood I think I told you this off air he got a really dope job like he Mm -hmm. lived a life like right after going to college that he wanted to live now my story wasn't like that you know but I'm like okay Northwood is close if I decide to walk on for basketball I could you know what Mm -hmm. I mean the basketball thing kind of drifted once I got into kind of like boys, right? Mm-hmm. And I realized, like, okay, WNBA players, they make, like, 30000 40000 mm-hmm. but they give their whole energy, they whole everything to basketball and don't get much out of it. And I didn't know if I wanted to do that. Like, so I kind of slowly, slowly, I got to remember everything from elementary school up until 12th grade was basketball. So yeah. I wanted to understand what life was without basketball. So when I got to Northwood, I'm kind of like, this is the perfect place for me to be. Mm-hmm. Two hours away. Um, they have a D2 team. If I want to walk on, I can make it. Um, and I was cool. My cousin went there. He did well, right? So that's why Northwood. What was it like? I love Northwood, to be okay. honest with you. For it to be, you know, for a college experience, the only thing I regret is I wish that I would have went to an HBCU uh, just to get that another layer of like that mm-hmm. dynamic feeling of what black is like I just love what that feeling is is when black just keeps hitting you in the face different mm-hmm. ways even when you black I think it's more prolific you know yeah. so um but Norfolk was still good because it gave me again another version of who I am right mm-hmm. white black African Indian Chinese all different varieties of races and cultures right you have White people that were from the Upper Peninsula. You had white people that were from the city. You had black people that were from Cleveland, right? Mm -hmm. And there were black people that were from Detroit and went to King. Mm -hmm. You had all different types of people and from different backgrounds. And, you know, the kids from Cleveland, right? I'm like, how the hell y'all end up here? It was like tons of people from Cleveland. The land. Under, like, Mm -hmm. they bought a whole, you got, you know, you think of Ohio, right? You think of thinking lames, you know, like we call Hilarious. like we call certain like, you know, Hilarious. black people locals, right? From Kalamazoo, Flint. Hilarious. You know what I'm saying? Back then when we in high school, like, yeah. oh, they ain't from the D, they whack. Like they lame. Mm-hmm. And then so Northwood showed you people from K people from Muskegon, Flint, mm-hmm. Saginaw, all had spirits, yeah. all had soul, all had coolnesses of black. Mm-hmm. Same thing from Cleveland. Cleveland taught a lot of people about a lot of things. Yeah. Polo, Ralph Lauren, even though I'm talking, again, I'm talking early 2000s where, mm. you know what I'm saying, Europe, European fashion was like at mm. its heights. So was 
Um, you know, the hip-hop brands, Rock Aware was still around. All them, yeah. Jabot, that still kind of was lingering into the early 2000s. Yeah. But Cleveland taught people about SBs, about Dunks, about Blazers, uh, you know, Nike, different Nikes, gym shoes, uh, Japanese denim, right? Mm-hmm. Huge on Japanese denim. Uh, nudie jeans. I'm talking about uh, all different types of fashion, right? So mm-hmm. it was a great experience for me. You know, it was okay. a really a good experience. I met a lot of people that were into hip-hop, like mm-hmm. true hip-hoppers. Like, shout-out to Dame. Um, he's a person I went to school with, uh, dropped out of Northwood and started on his own record label. You know, he was super into Joe Budden. I'm just, like, throwing stuff out there because just to give you an example of just, like, the different types of blackness that was there. You know what I mean? So it was cool for me. Okay. So from there, mm-hmm. where do you end up? Uh, I was, during the summer... Um, I was working at a country club near my where my mom stayed, and it was a Chaldean country club, meaning that it was a private, privately, if you weren't Chaldean, you couldn't mm. go there. But publicly, anyone could go up there. Okay? Yep. So I worked there during the summers. I did a, an assortment of things. I did the Bev cart where you drive around and you serve drinks and look kind of cute. Okay. And then I did, like, banquet where you hold the tray, right, mm. and you serve fine dining, right? Mm. Um, and then I did fine dining and then I also did, uh, I served poker tables. Okay. So I had a, that's where I think I would say my love for food started to really, really come in. I've always loved food, but, Mm -hmm. uh, seeing a different culture's take on food and understanding spices and understanding smells and understanding like, uh, bread, (laughs) you know, it, it honestly was amazing. So I worked there. And all the members knew that I had gone to school. And this was like, you got to remember, I graduated college in 2011. But in 2008 was when the recession was. So that was only like four years. Yeah. So life was still kind of like circulating around the recession. Yeah. So I couldn't find a job is what I'm getting at. I just knew back to the 90s. I wanted every successful black person in the 90s that was cool was in the advertising. You look hmm. at Boomerang. Advertising. Eddie Murphy and was in advertising, right? <laughs> Gino and Martin, she was in advertising, like, uh-huh. right? I wanted to be like this fly black chick with a cool haircut mm-hmm. and that was super confident and that did advertising. Like, I wanted to be a copywriter. I wanted to own my yeah. own marketing firm. Mm. And I was just going to be so dope and I was going to make commercials. And um, I actually got a plug. Someone had introduced me to a guy in Detroit. Detroit, hmm. what people don't know, because of the big three, hmm. um, has a, a lot of, lot of marketing of firms. firms. Yeah. And it also developed into, there were like a couple early 2000s black advertising firms mm-hmm. where they did a lot of like of the, before the bias training, right? A lot of these advertising firms had segments of like uh, of like uh, minority portfolios, And wait, right? time out. Let me say it still exists. It's just under a whole lens of they call it diversity and inclusion yeah, now. For sure. It still exists. They just reframe how it for looks. Sure. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. it's a reason why our Super Bowl halftime show mm-hmm. is what it is. Mm-hmm. But continue. Such a know. great point. Such a great point. So um, that's what I wanted to do. So I got a plug and I'm like, oh, man, they asked me to create this. I went to school. So like, okay, wait, time out. Even okay. on that same tip, it's yeah. Super Bowl halftime. The what's up? Those guys were Literally. advertising firm. Uh, black advertising. I didn't know firm. that, but literally yep. that that what I was saying literally of is that mm. what they were who they were marketing to, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the point I'm making is is that Northwood, a lot of my friends found this out, was the business side of things. 
Mm-hmm. Even if you were going to school for the arts, yeah. right? It was the business side of how to handle the arts. Mm. That's what made the school so powerful. Mm. So a lot of my friends, again, from Cleveland, right, from a lot of different areas who wanted to do fashion, they got very, 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 like, disheartened because they were only learning just a little bit of the, the creative, fat, the side, creative side, right? And but it was really just the business, the business side. side yeah. So a lot of them, junior year, left. They went to Chicago. They went to a lot of different places. So same thing for me, but I stayed. I enjoyed the business side of things. I love business. What was your major? At marketing. Okay. So, so that I thought sense. I was going to be a copywriter. Okay. So when I got out of school and I got this plug of this black advertising firm, they were going to plug me. But mm-hmm. they wanted to see a portfolio. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell? Mm-hmm. I ain't got no portfolio. I haven't done nothing creative. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of like super salty. Like, dang, now I get why my friends love. Right? I'm thinking that like, I'm no, I'm a creative person. I'm this cool. Like, mm-hmm. oh my God. Uh, I'm like, and no, I didn't have a portfolio. Hmm. And they only gave me like a two-week turnaround to give them a portfolio. Yeah. And I wasn't about to fudge it. Right? Mm-hmm. So I went back to the country club. And mm. so the members knew that I was, like, looking for a job, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. Like, when I realized that I had only garnished the business side of advertising enough to, like, put it on my resume, and it wasn't enough, I didn't know what to do. So mm. from there— So it was almost like you were at that basketball position again a little <laughs> literally, bit. Literally. Yep. I didn't even think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, uh, the members all knew, like, I, that—, that I was looking for work and mm. they knew I wasn't about to work in one of their funky ass liquor stores, yeah. gas stations, hotels. Yeah. But there was this one member who worked for Otis Elevator and I had no idea what that was, but they were like, man, you should talk to him. Like they have sales positions like you actually might like 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 it there. So he got me an interview in Cincinnati. I didn't get it. And then they called me for the one in Detroit. And they were like, we think this is a perfect fit. You're from here. So I started working with elevators. So I thought, okay, selling elevators, all I got to do is press a button. I mean, what I'm going to do, sell buttons. Mm-hmm. And then that's how I got into the world of elevators. Like I started in sales slash account management, which is always like kind of like a super entry job into yeah, anything. anything once you yeah. got out of school, yeah. right? Yeah. And it took me, uh, again, parts of myself got reintroduced to myself of like being able to be a lot of different things in one, right? I'm in a hotel one day, but I'm in a high-rise building the next day. I'm talking to a property management group that's been in the city for 20 years one day, but then I'm talking to a building owner of 17 buildings that are all across the metro Detroit another day, right? So I'm learning, right? I'm adding skill sets to myself. I'm seeing how to talk to people. I'm seeing how to communicate with people. I'm learning how to see people in their biggest frustrations, right? If an elevator's not going up and down a hoistway, people are mad, right? You got that right. So got that right. I've learned, especially if you got tenants you in go. that said building. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's my background is okay. You know, elevators. So then we meet. You get you gave somewhat of an introduction to yeah. this, but we meet through Mama Shoshana. Shout yeah. out to Mama Shoshana. Shoshana. Now Shoshana, it makes man. sense they don't because make them like that no more. she was uh, teaching, or most people from Muffer would know her as Miss Talaferro. Yeah. Uh, we know the Talaferro name is connected to even Booker T. Washington, mm. but more so her older brother, which is also my big homie. Mm-hmm. Uh, rest in peace, Chokwe Lumumba. Uh, and 
And that connection got us going because one day Mama Shoshana said, <laughs> you got to meet Brittany. And I was like, uh, okay, just tell her to pull up when I do this uh, My Natural Hair recording. Mm-hmm. Back when I was doing the Natural Hair podcast over at Detroit Sip mm-hmm. uh, in the Live Six neighborhood. Jemana mm-hmm. uh, Watson, another shout out in that mix. Mm-hmm. Uh, just how all this stuff connects. Uh, LaDonna, Markeisha, part of the network and in the family. For sure. I meet you. Yes. Uh, after meeting you, you were like, I want to shoot a video. I want to shoot it. And mm-hmm. I was like, okay, you need to get better lighting. You need to get better <laughs> audio. You need to basically like, it was like, you are jumping into this project with no a lot idea of stuff. What I was getting into. And I said, you need to meet Piper Carter. Mm-hmm. Pick up. So, yeah, I, I can't even remember the year. This had to be like 16, 17. Mm-hmm. I, again, I always have felt like I've been like, I'm very, I don't, I'm not a I'm a talker, but I'm not a talker. I don't feel like I have to always like express or explain myself. I like people to kind of just get it. And if they don't get it, they're not meant to be. Mm-hmm. But I've always have not liked the feeling of like being misrepresented or misunderstood. But I also don't want things to be about me. Right. I like people to see who I am through how I view other things, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people to get an understanding of me through a documentary based on the city of Detroit. Now, this was again. 15, 16. So back up. I got to back up a little bit. So before I meet Kari and Piper, I knew that I wanted to open up a pizzeria. It just popped in my head one day. And I will get into that. And from there, I realized that, like, oh, my God, I want this pizzeria to be, like, a community staple in this Detroit. Like, I want to, I want kids to grow up eating my pizza. Like, I want them to be, like, after school, like, be like, man, I'm going to get a piece of pizza. And I was like, I got to move to the city. Like, the city is changing. And I want to get to the city before it completely changes. And I don't get a chance to fill the city the way that I grew up not being able to live in. Mm -hmm. So I moved out and I finally moved to the city. And so from there, I started experiencing city life. And I got to start seeing the city from a a different perspective of just me Mm -hmm. on the outside thinking it was like the coolest shit ever. And so from there, I'm like, I got to capture it. I'm like, I don't like I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. But I had watched a show on YouTube called Money and Violence. It was a guy named Ray and I forget his homeboy name. Mm. They was just two street niggas. And mm. they decided that they was just gonna film. They they wrote a script and they was just gonna film let it. Me, let me say let me say this. Okay. So Money and Violence of what she's talking about is one of the more popular versions of what I think now has been like a splurge of YouTube series that kind of connect now to the movement of a lot of Detroit films and stuff on Tubi, yeah, uh, Amazon. Sure. Uh, Tubi will have the new season of McGraw-Ave coming up, which is based in that whole, in my old Northwestern stomping grounds, uh, the number streets and across the bridge, <laughs> McGraw-Ave. But mm. Money and Violence was one of the shows. Like, So it's funny that the team, it, it was three teams that were doing things. One more no is Issa Rae. When she had Awkward Black Girl. That was like one of these series. I I missed her before The other group was the Money and Violence group. And then I think the other one was like All Black Sexy. So it was like three different. So one was from L.A. One was from the D.C. area. Another one from the Atlanta area primarily. And Crossing. So the D.C. area also kind of encompassed Baltimore. And the Money and Violence group was kind of based in that whole DMV uh, Baltimore area, if I remember. The show is still up there. but It's Brooklyn. It's Brooklyn. But you think you mix in with The Wire when you say Baltimore. But yeah, it was Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. But Mm -hmm. all these series were coming out. Mm-hmm. around the same time where people were 
taking their their cameras and basically making our own scripts mm-hmm. the same way right now if you go on Tubi you'll see if you put Detroit movies you're going to see like a wealth of films <laughs> that exist and Homestead and Dennis Reed the third shout out another shout out but continue yeah. with this because it it's like a movement in content it's just part of where we're at like yeah. right now when we look at black media you have to like respect it like these guys knew nothing about cinematography they could care less mm. they just knew they had a story to tell about I have to go in just a tiny bit so Money and Violence basically showed you it was similar to The Wire but they showed you all street niggas they showed you the drug dealer they showed you the uh, the what do you call it the scammer they showed you the uh, wolf, the thieves, and they showed you the hitman, right? Mm. So it's not everybody when they think of street life, they think of like the drug dealer, right? He's mm. everything, all of that, right? But no, it's not like it showed you the snitches. They showed you everything. So they were street dudes that wanted to really show street life and just did not have training. And that's where my inspiration came. I'm like, if these dudes can do it. I know I can do it. Like, mm. I took the money. I've always been big on investing in myself. So I'm like, cool. I got this extra cash. I know I want to do this documentary. I'm just going to buy the flyest equipment. But then I know this flyest equipment is going to become outdated by the time I'm done with it. So I'm just going to do a mixture of stuff. And this is so funny now like where we're at in media. I was like, I'm going to do it. It's going to be some on the iPhone. I'm going to get an old <laughs> Polaroid. I'm going to get an iMac. And I'm going to use the, get this dope Canon camera. And I'm going to use all four as the footage. And when I'm trying to give somebody a different feeling, I'm going to use this type of footage. And then I'm not going to show myself. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm like, I think, again, I want people to learn who I am, but through another lens. So I was like, yeah. I'm going to interview all these different people. And it's going to be my collage of, the, of my perspective of Detroit. People are going to get to see the mega churches in Detroit. People are going to get a chance to see how uh, and when they see that, they're going to see how important the church is to black people. People are going to see the barbershops, beauticians all up and down Six Mile and Seven Mile. And, like, they're going to see that black business has always been a thing in the city of Detroit. And maybe it'll fuel the beauticians and the barbershops to open up their own um, mm-hmm. um, beauty salon. I mean, um, like, you know, like the stores that they yeah, use yeah. to get hair and stuff. Hair stores. Supply stores. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, all right. Then I'm going to... Um, I'm going to just get everybody. I'm just going to film everybody. I'm going to get community activists um, because people need to know that all this Mm. stuff that's that's pro-black has been here. It's been Mm. in the city. Super excited. And I just started doing it. And it all just started coming to me. I got a chance to interview Mm. all kind of people. I'm talking about the footage that I have. It's like kind of, and then I got also got the inspiration from Hoop Dreams. I'm like, I, I, I'm like, it doesn't matter when I finish it. It just matters of how I collect it and how I put it together. And it'll be that much more potent. Yeah. So then Mama Shoshana, she was one of the people that I wanted to interview as DPS teachers. DPS always has had like this like really weird relationship with the media and just in Detroit and just in general with like people like Kari just asked, like people wondering where they should send their kids. Right. So I wanted to give people a real dose of what DPS was, including the cast, the King of Renaissance. But understand that in the 90s, if you didn't go to cast King of Renaissance, I hate to be biased. You went to Montfort, right? But there's also a story about Northwestern. There's also a story about even McKenzie, right? All mm-hmm. these different stories. There's all these different deep-rooted stories. So I wanted to get Mama Shoshana because she was a community activist, but her being a DPS teacher would lead me into the community activist portion of the documentary. So when she saw what I was doing, she said I reminded her of Kari. And I was like, okay. And I don't like meeting people, especially when it's somebody who is more involved in the craft. I didn't want them to think, like, I know what I'm doing because I really don't know what I'm doing. Like, I didn't know how to... I didn't know how to do it. I wasn't all, all, listen to me. The day that y'all were filming that, she told me to come. I 
was two seconds away from not coming. I probably circled the block three times before I pulled wow. up. Wow. I'm like, man, like, I don't even know, like, what I'm doing. Like, this is about to be embarrassing. Like, mm-hmm. he going to probably be laughing at me because my camera stuff is going to be whack. Like, and some told me, like, just go. So mm-hmm. I went, had a great time, and Kari was like, you got to see my space. So I came here, came to Detroit, it's different, and I was completely flabbergasted. Like, because it was, like, everything that my documentary, like, represented. And like, wait, and, and that was the first, okay, so right now we're in... So, Brittany, when I say, as you all just heard in the story, like, uh, Brittany takes to this equipment very well and soaks up, like, almost like in a day. She learned this setup, like, maybe in, like, 30 minutes. I was like, it may take some time. She's like, just show me. And then it's like, she learns Mm -hmm. uh, kinetic learning very fast. But that was studio setup (laughs) 1.0. We're probably on studio setup, like, 5.0 or something. Like, who knows? Like, that's the thing of creating content where I'm always getting a couple new gadgets and things like this. And shout out to like, you know, you learn from different people. Yeah. My other cousin, uh, Lumumba, Studio Lumumba. I'm surprised mm-hmm. he didn't text me tonight because he's picking up some stuff that I got to get him. But um, but yeah, so it's like you saw the first iteration of this. Setup, For sure. And it definitely looked nothing like this. Oh, my God. Nothing. You know, so when I walked in, with that being said, like, the first iteration, 1.0, like, it still was nothing like I've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. Like, we're on the deep west side, right? Um, and this is an area that, like, is super close to Highland Park. It's super kind of close to downtown. But it just has, like, it's always had its own vibe. The Shrine of Black Madonna, for, from what I remember from my childhood, is not too far away. Mm-hmm. And my first boyfriend like a serious boyfriend like grew up off Linwood and Davidson so he and that his could be parents a good thing been, or a bad thing and no no it was a good thing it was a good <laughs> thing in its own way like I told you in its own way it was a great thing mm-hmm. but he lived off Oakman mm-hmm. so coming here I'm like hmm this is exactly what Detroit is to me and it was called Detroit is different and I'm like oh my gosh like what is going on right now mm-hmm. and I was so inspired and I was so well impressed with Kari and, like, his vision. And I could tell, based on how he explained everything, that he understood his process, right? He understood the purpose of having a process and trusting it and taking steps. You don't eat an elephant whole. You take it little by little. And when you have the chances to take big chumps, which in another realm is quantum leaps, you do it, right? So... I was super inspired, and I just was like, man, I felt honored. Like, I just, in my mind, thought, like, oh, I got to get him on my documentary. Like, that's as far as it went. I'm like, Mm -hmm. this dude got to be on my documentary. This is perfect because I wanted to do the documentary, and I'm still going to do it, but I have to learn how to focus. Mm -hmm. So, Well, you you just have a lot more on your plate. Yeah. Uh, as we go and and yeah. So continue with this story. This is fascinating because it's like wow. You know, it's like those moments where it's like you know, like when when. When, uh, what was it? When Michael was, when Michael Jackson was on stage, <laughs> accepting that Grammy and thanking Diana Ross. It's like, wow, this is crazy. You know, but continue. <laughs> so in a documentary I wanted to do, I wanted to like, I just visualized me like having everything broken down and explaining the city. Because once people understand the way Detroit is actually laid out on a map, mm-hmm. it becomes the most beautiful city ever. Right. To me, I love New York, love the boroughs. But if you break the city of Detroit down, it to me is more beautiful. I don't know why. Maybe I'm being biased again, right? So I wanted to give everybody a taste of 
what was going on in each segment of the city. Mm-hmm. And I was going to introduce, you know, I was going to do it kind of funky. Who knows? But mm-hmm. point I'm making is, is that, like, I was so excited and ecstatic to have, like, a West Sider, like, and a, faci- a specific West Sider, so close to so many gyms. This, this neighborhood has, like, this energy orbit. It will always be protected. Like, because of the, like, um, the ancestors and what they've done. You know, you got the Nation of Islam that's nearby. Uh, you have, again, the Shrine of the Black Madonna, the bookstore. Um, you have, it's just, I, and I'm not even naming it all, like, but you got the Focus Hope community, right? Um it just has this energy orbit around it. And for him to be doing something like starting his own media company to, you know, we always talk about, I always told people, like, I don't need CNN giving me black people, like, on there from a black perspective. I don't need a black perspective on TV. I don't need that. I don't need the Grammys to give me all black singers and all black winners. Like, I don't need that. I want it genuinely created by my own people, right? And that's what Kari was doing. And I was, like, so down with the concept, you know. So in between then, I was coaching basketball at the time. <laughs> and I had someone tell like, me, like, stop shooting threes. I'm just <laughs> Somebody was like, man, you got to come hoop with us. Like, the older mm-hmm. kids, I was teaching fifth and sixth graders. Mm-hmm. So they wanted me to get on a court with, like, 20-year-olds. Mm-hmm. So I always busting on the fifth and sixth graders' tails. So when I actually started hooping with the 20s-something, the game was much faster. Of course, long story short, mm-hmm. tore my Achilles. Mm. So here I am doing this mm. documentary. I can't drive because it's on my right foot, and I'm Saudi. I can't do pizza. I can't study pizza. I can't cook. I can't go to pizza work. I can't do nothing. So I'm mm. just sitting on my couch like, what is God trying to tell me? Like, I'm so confused. Like, I done started these projects, and now I'm, I can't even stay in shape because I done tore my Achilles. Mm. My third day in my boot, Kari hits me up and goes, like, I need you to come to the studio. Like, I need you to meet somebody. And he was mm-hmm. like, I think you should really, really start spending more time at Detroit is different. And I'm like, is this a sign? <laughs> like, oh, my God, like, I'm so down right now. Like, my violin is going. And I'm like, I'm going to go. So I got an Uber. And I mm. came here. And he introduced me to Piper Carter. And the moment I met Piper, she's, like, singing. Like, Piper's energy is, like, something you've never experienced. Like, yes. it's like, it's like a, it's like a karaoke machine mixed with, like, a fashion magazine mixed with like a Detroit 1980 newspaper, Detroit Free Press, and then it's like a like a, the basement party that you went to in high school <laughs> mixed with like the best cipher you've ever seen in your life, like all that at once, right? Uh-huh. So I was like, oh my god, girls like this exist. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Like, there's a girl out here who actually gets life. <laughs> like, uh-huh. that is what I felt. I was intimidated. Yeah. Piper has an intimidated energy because she's filling you out. Yeah. You know, but Kari made the introduction. I was like, I think, you know, she's doing this podcast, and I believe in her. And she's so dope. She's hip-hop. She's this. She's that. And you guys remind me of each other. Just figure it out. Right? Mm. You should be a producer. Do you know what a producer is? I'm like, no. He's like, but this is what a producer is. Of course, Kari lays out everything, has an agenda, he has paperwork. <laughs> so he's like, this is what a producer is. And then he like lays it out. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. Like, a producer? Like, uh-huh. that sounds cool, you know? Uh-huh. So um, the first night of the first night I was here, like, I, you know, witnessed the podcast. And then from there on out, me and Piper kind of like was homegirls. Um, very, 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 very similar spirits. I just get her. Um, she gives me 
Um, she holds me accountable. I hold her, her accountable. She's my mentor. She's my sister. Um, mm-hmm. She's somebody that I strive to be daily when it comes to t- uh, goal setting, being task oriented, and also being a free spirit and letting stuff just come to you and you showing the world what you got. You know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's how I landed here. Yep, and, and that leads us kind of to like at the end we're talking mm-hmm. the pizza. Because mm-hmm. I even had to tell GMAC about this where I'm like, you know, you met Brittany originally through the Piper Carter show. <laughs> but then GMAC was the one that said, nah, we was doing the initiative with Yousef mm-hmm. on Vegan Tuesdays. <laughs> and Piper said, let's do the, the pizza. So, like, if people know we're all interconnected, like these these so- stories and people like when I think of I used to trip out on Harlem Renaissance and and it's like, damn, Malcolm X knew Red Fox knew new Billy Holiday knew, uh, you know, like sometimes like if, if the synergies around these energies connect mm-hmm. and then you give this person a play and so forth and so on and it's so true. forth and so on. So like. Um, Yusef Shakur, which people know that's my Shout homie. Shout out Yusef, man. And um, Yusef, community movement builders, an initiative that's a national initiative around mm-hmm. community development in Detroit. But one of the key initiatives in fundraising was an initiative brought forth by Greg McKenzie, GMAC, who a lot of people may know from our Keepalon Village sure. and other things. It was like, I do Vegan Tuesdays and we can make some money out of that. And it was like, okay, so technically... Every Tuesday, and it'll start back up in April. Uh, you can come by Mama Akua House mm-hmm. that is connected to community mo- movement builders yep. and get some vegan food Amazing. that tastes good because that's the difference. It's like it's a lot of vegan food you go to, and it's like this tastes like wheatgrass, but that's not made by <laughs> black people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. like, you know, sometimes your interpretation, black person, of vegan food may be, ah, that's gonna be disgusting. The food at Vegan Tuesdays is amazing. Shout out Mama Neza. Shout out the uh, vegan gumbo. Shout out uh, the yeah, Ethiopian Buddha, foods. Jafani, uh, even GMAC himself. Like I told him that cauliflower was amazing oh, to the point where plate. I wanted to hit the block, uh, spin the block twice. That's what's uh, but one of the biggest hits where I could even, like, you were sold out of your vegan pizza. Like, okay, th- technically it's from 12 to 4. Yeah. I was thinking to myself, like, okay, I'm going to be casual or whatever. I'm working on projects like always. I'll put my order in at 2 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I'll put my order in at 2 o'clock. I'm thinking something's wrong with the app. <laughs> no more pizza. Yeah. Well. Continue. Yeah. I'll be quick about this, too. Like, veganism for me started with me understanding Dr. Sebi's explanation on the black diet. And it's not and it's not racist. It's not stereotypical that uh that our digestion system is different and there's different things that we should be digesting. So I practiced being alkaline for about two years and I like (laughs) swindled back into just veganism, whatever that Mm -hmm. even means. Um, And then I got inspired like beyond the pizza of like giving people my perspective of veganism. Again, my perspective, everyone's is different. So at first I couldn't do pizza. Like I've trained myself with pizza. I've been to Italy. I've been to Brooklyn 2000 million times. I've been to pizza expos. I've been, Making my own dough for years, like studying, studying, studying flour, the relationship between sugar and flour, sugar separately, yeast, different type of yeast, fresh yeast, active yeast, instant yeast, um, different types of flours, wheat, unbleached, bleached, um, humidity, uh, temperature of water. Oh, my God. Hydration. All of this. Right. Did all this studying, did all this stuff and pop ups weren't big here. Again, Piper. She put me on to Willis Showbar. A owner who only had an amazing bar but didn't have a restaurant. 
So, again, he didn't have a space where I could do pizza, no pizza oven, no space to do pizza. Pizza's like a whole thing. So I just did vegan sandwiches, vegan salads. Shout out to Shannon. Uh, she was part of that journey. Yeah, the vegan po' boy catfish yeah. sandwich you made. Mm-hmm. I still want another one of those whenever you. it comes back. But continue. So long story short, um, COVID hit. Um, it's Food Detroit kind of had to take a different direction. And uh, Piper introduced me uh, to G-Mac, who, again, was on a Piper Carter show. Um, didn't know G-Mac, but I knew he was doing this initiative with Yusuf and, again, with the, the community builders that uh, Kari just mentioned. Shout out to Sherry, too. Um, so did the Vegan Tuesday. People seemed to like the pizza. And it had been so long since I'd done it, I, I didn't know how people were going to take to it. And then I did another one where I said, you know, I'm a, a vegan person, but I like other people with other lifestyle options to enjoy themselves, too. So I opened it up to, like, dairy cheese as well. And then from there, GMAC, a couple months from there, goes, I want you to come to Akibalon. The owner of Akibalon loves pizza. They do, like, uh, different uh, challenges, karate challenges, uh, uh, belt, uh, you know, belt turnovers. Like, mm-hmm. his grandson is doing a belt turnover. He's turning a black belt. He loves pizza. I think they should try your pizza. Cool. Go there. Got a full kitchen. I mean, I'm spaced out like this, just making pie. So happy. And I probably served them like eight pies. And then at the end, they were like, man, you should do your pizza here. Like, you should really just do your pizza here. You got a job. You work nine to five. You ain't going to be leave, able to leave elevators. It's perfect. You can do it one day a week. We could build to do it two, doing it two days a week. We could build to doing it three days a week. But you should start your foundation here. And that's where I've been rocking for the last couple of years. And and now it's been on the news. It's been everywhere. It's ta- mm-hmm. it's times where I see your flyer in different places. Like one of the biggest mm-hmm. ones, as you know, you don't know all my big homies, but you would be like, Kari, you know everybody. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people. But uh, one of my, two of my biggest homies are uh, <laughs> Tony Stovall. Okay. And Cliff Green from Hot Sam's. Oh, yeah. But Tony, uh, Tony did a did a whole little small feature on your pizza one time. He was like, <laughs> man, this pizza. And he from the deep east side, too, a southeastern mm-hmm. guy. You know, but Tony, that's my guy. Um, Tony was like, man, this pizza good as ever, man. I was like, that's my homie. And it's like, <laughs> oh, God. you know, Tony, Tony always messing with me. So... <laughs> It it was one of the coolest things where I'm like your reach of the pizza and then feeling like I'm a part of like some you introductions are. that have blossomed new opportunities from what I consider like underutilized space and mm. things Um, as you know, people even wonder, like, you know, I, I think all the time, even with you, it's like you want to see a camera, you want to see a microphone here. It's Period. underutilized. I've like never seen use that, it. Use it that way. Be it's it's being used. That's and yeah, does stuff only, break? Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff breaks. <laughs> but at the same time, it breaking in operation is yes. better than hoarding the resource. As I, people know, I believe our culture is different than what this system of the rugged individual. A rugged individualism creates for sure our synergy and our creativity our lifeblood is more comes together through connection yeah for through sure. collective thinking and all this stuff and now these resources kind of move together because now all these other people i know know you and if i can bring you up we can move it's the best thing ever. together more for you know it's, 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 it's definitely challenging sometimes but we move together in unison a whole lot more than being fragmented and segregated as I think this system designed by others, not not black folks, wants it to be. You taught me, though, Kari, that you have to learn how to invest in people and be invested in, too. And that's like the relationship. And it's not a currency thing. 
it's not a like capitalistic thing. It's a we talk all day long about building community. We need to build community. We need to do this and all this, right? How do you do it, right? You see someone that's like-minded, you introduce them. You never know where that can go, right? It just starts from there, you know, mm-hmm. and that's literally what this is. It's like, you know, aligning my character, understanding that my character has to go through four and five different circles, right? And that when you've got a goal, right, you keep yourself in a position where you can keep meeting people, right? You keep your reputation up to par, right? You move. You're not, I'm not saying I'm perfect. You make mistakes. You do things that you shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. You learn from that. So the next segment of people that you meet, right, it just keeps floating, right? Yeah. You put yourself in a situation and not all of you is needed in a space, right, I feel like. Maybe portions of you are needed. Right. To get things accomplished. So I've given portions of myself to the community and I'm getting starting to give more and more and more. But the portions of myself that I've given to Detroit are just enough to fuel other people and vice versa. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's that's where I am, am with it. I've learned a lot about, you know, from from giving you my origin story. Like I've never in my life felt more aligned with Detroit than what I have now through Detroit is different. You know, I've had. So many wonderful learning experiences with Detroit is different from learning how to do tech more and more, learning how to plan for something that's six months down the line, right? The first festival you've done, right? Seeing mm-hmm. all the background that went into that and all the different people you have to pull together, how to pull people together, right? All different types of things, you know? Um, and again, all my dreams have honestly been fueled out of this incubator space, which is the wow. purpose of That's the deep. space. You know That's what I'm deep. saying? It's just the truth. I don't know how else to put it. I would stand a million tall on the fact that these are the things that are needed for us to get to where we go. When we talk about, you know, not accepting money from people who are gentrifying the city, right? When we talk about not needing grants, right? All of us write grants and all these spaces that we're in, right? Our spaces connect and one of the things that comes up is grant writing, right? Being turned down and being turned down and getting one, right? And mm-hmm. then getting turned down and getting turned down, right? But if we work together, if we come together and we put people and put the put the plays where they need to be, put the players where they need to be, put people in the position where they need to learn, where they need to receive, then we'll be okay. I, I truly feel that way. I, I feel you definitely. Um, I, I can say um, a couple of different things. Like, the opportunities in granting, especially now with the 501c3 and then yeah. things come and exposure. I think you make the decision at the margin, but I love the way you even said it starting off as a point guard because that's what it's like. Yeah. Like I say, I play pickup. So pickup point guard in some ways, in some ways, I only played a little bit of organized basketball, is has more of a responsibility. For sure. Because in pickup basketball, it's very community-based. And I kind of like where I'm going with this analogy because, like, in organized basketball, it's kind of like you're functioning in the system of the corporate structure, capitalism, uh, white supremacy, or, like, just something that's not as black and create. Like, pick up basketball, sometimes you don't even know where these people came from. My man fresh out of jail. My man, this other dude is in high school. Mm-hmm. This other dude sort of kind of don't want to be here. Mm-hmm. This other guy's out here because he wants his son to just do something active. So being a point guard or something like that, you're understanding and meeting people where they are a whole lot more. And you have to pick up very fast their uh, their level of playing basketball, you know, and and where their skill sets are and what position they can be in so that you can win this game. Because it's been so many times where I've seen. 
you know, because definitely me. Like, I always say I was intangibles just because I, I just like talking <laughs> shit. I really wasn't really that good at basketball. But I've been on runs where we win one, two, three, four, five games in a row where you're like, how is this happening? Because we're really not better than <laughs> this team of, like, they got three people out here dunking. You know what I'm saying? Be because like the system of somebody that's that floor general really knows – What's true. happening? So I, I like that analogy of understanding the plays of where people are and just knowing how to utilize these resources and connecting. But we've been so conditioned to not connect. That's why, I like, when people say, like, why don't you charge the podcasters? And it's like, because I don't look at the podcasters as that's not the resource they're giving. The resource they're giving to Detroit is different is it's a different interface of creativity. So that people don't look at Detroit as different as much as they may associate it with Detroit, with Kari Frazier. I feel like for Detroit is different to become a larger platform. You're thinking Piper Carter. You're thinking Brittany Marsh. You're thinking Josh Adams. You're thinking my natural hair. You're thinking you're thinking Jennifer Crawford. Ask Jennifer. Like you're thinking all these different faces beyond Kari because it's not about Kari. It's a platform mm. that is community based. Period. And as I pour into this, it pours back into me. Yeah. So it has it's fool been like that for you? Like as you've given more, I know it's like the old church adage, you know. As you've given more, have you found you getting more out of it? My mom says that to me every week. She's like, You gotta give, you gotta keep giving. So the answer to your question is yes. It mm. it is it is not just the old church adage, it is magic. Right. And I don't mean magic in the sense of ooh, voodoo. No, but there's things that we do that we put out energy we put out there and it boils invisibly mm. and then it creates something. So the more that you add into something and you get nothing out of it on a surface level, the more it, the really is what you're, you're getting the most out of it. Right. So, yes, like I have done even just from the of investing in self. Right. Right. Whatever you pour into yourself, it literally will sprout. You have to believe that if it's coming from a genuine space. Right. You're not just money. Right. Time, effort, uh, research, traveling. That's all. If you're investing, you're doing all of that and you're investing in yourself that will sprout into something. That's you giving yourself something. That's the first thing. Right. The second thing is fueling other people. Right. It, you we we talked about it. it's a thin line right where you have to like be focused and be rooted into yourself right but sometimes you those quantum leaps that we talked about come from you fueling someone else and you learning the tools that you need to actually invest more into yourself so yes the more that i have fueled other people, the more that I've invested in other people, the more I've gained and garnished the tools that I need to do it with myself. And that's how I look at it. I don't know if I answered the question. That's dope. So with that, um, get the people some information where they can get some <laughs> pizza. Uh, I, I love the uh, for the Super Bowl. You did the mushroom wings. Mm -hmm. Like I said, they were great. I don't know if I label them wings, but I want to get them <laughs> again. Hopefully yeah. they're on the menu because I'm coming back this weekend to mm -hmm. get some. Um, share with the people how they can get some of this vegan pizza. So there's two ways. One, um, I'm not a like social media person, but uh, through Kari, I have uh, <laughs> at Is Food Detroit, and it's mm -hmm. just simply spelled I T S F 
O O D D E T R O I T at is food Detroit. That's on Instagram. That's the mm-hmm. best way to see the food, understand, you know, mm-hmm. kind of the community aspect of what we do and then get updates on different things. And then um, honestly, my business number is my personal number, 248-804-3140. Uh, if you have any inquiries about what we do, you can call me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the website. So the website opens up every single week on Wednesdays, and it uh, stays open until Sunday. Um, it's www.vgnpza.com. So vegan pizza for short, www dot vgnpza.com okay and that's where you can order the pizza you can understand again what we're doing um we're open every single sunday we're open you can catch us there from 11 to 5 and then we're open every first saturday of the month okay so for people to know because like i say this pizza ain't it's great but it also is in high demand so if i want to get my pizza Mm -hmm. if i just happen to be one of them you know our people. We may show up on Sunday at one o'clock. What's the probability that I'm gonna show up Sunday at one o'clock and be walking out of there with a pizza? At you 1:30? know, we I've had to one. I've had to like really to answer your question in short. Just come, we'll have pizza for you. But okay. it is much better if you pre-order. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say it, it. It makes for me being a small business and working nine to five still. Um, it helps me organize and ensure that you get the best quality of pizza. That's the only thing behind the pre-order, right? Is that I'm I'm kind of like a one-man band, kind of, sort of, in my own way. Um, but if you walk in, that's fine. You might wait a little longer, but we will mm-hmm. take care of you. We'll get you a pizza. You know what I mean? So I don't want people to think like, oh, you got to pre-order this pizza. This pizza so damn good. Like, mm-hmm. it's just the fact that <laughs> it's a one-day-a-week thing. Um, capacity. It's, it's a good, it's a good pizza, mm-hmm. but it's more so about like helping the the kitchen and you know we're we're all trying to start our own thing. We're all trying to get there, and my way of doing it is doing it one day a week, ensuring that I can give the best quality and give the best version of myself, right? Because yourself is what fuels the what fuels the food. So that's it. That's what's up. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was amazing. So, all day. Thank you, Kari. Peace, peace, peace. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.